You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. So happy Father's Day to all you dads. Yeah. Dads are very important people. Yeah. Dads, you have a lot of influence over your families. I hope you know that um, more than you probably want. Uh, you've probably heard me say before that a dad's influence on the family in some ways goes beyond uh, the mother, not to discredit mothers. Mothers have their role and the things they bring to the table, but in the instance of like church, uh, statistically, a child is... If mom goes to church, not dad, just mom, the children are like 30% more likely to go to church than if no parents go. And then if dad goes, it jumps to like 70% more likely. Like your influence on that area of their life is enormous. And there's so many things in character and being the spiritual leader of your home and things that you do that are incredible to what it does to the life of your kids. And so just a challenge to dads this morning. To, to be more aware of your impact on your children. And so we'll make this quick because I know it's Father's Day and there might be some bacon left. Um, so we don't want to tarry too long. But that was a real weird word, wasn't it? Tarry. Anyway, I'm getting old. Um, but there is a biblical foundation for what I'm talking about because... I understand that the Bible says that man does not live by bread alone. And so uh, when you look at what it says, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of of God. So, you know, Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law. And so therefore, like ceremonial, sacrificial, all those kind of laws have been fulfilled in Jesus. So we're allowed to eat pork and do those kind of things now in the New Testament. So in essence, what Jesus was saying when he said man doesn't live by bread alone is that when you do have bread, have some bacon with it. We just tie all that together, okay? It's deep theological teaching right there, okay? That's what you get here at TCAR. Um, Let's finish our series in the book of Job this morning, and I'm going to go to chapter 42. Tony was there last week, did a great job at giving us this beautiful picture of chapter 42, but want to look through the, want to pull out just one particular area in more detail and for a couple of points, and so um, obviously in the middle of this, you need a snack, right? There's stuff still out there on the table, so we can get that, okay? But I'm not going to be that long this morning because it is Father's Day, and so as some of you learned, like as I gave out the bacon this morning, some of you, you got to understand, those of you who I said, no, this is just for dads, everybody else who wasn't a dad, you got the better end of the deal because you got to grow spiritually, Right, so I was helping you more than the dads, right? Okay, when you and you'll understand that in the sermon today. So, okay, and so I want to pull out a couple of points through this, and we've been through this journey in the in the book of Job, and we have seen Job, who the Lord calls blameless. He says he's blameless, not sinless, blameless, although it does point to one who was sinless. We'll get to that at the end. He was righteous before God because when Job would see that he had sin in his life, when he would ever he would see that was there, he would repent, turn from it, do what he had to do to make himself right before God, make his sacrifices as they would in the Old Testament. He would even do that for his children and and preemptively at times it seems as the way it talked about it. But just in case there was ever something there that, that their kids that his kids had done. And so Job was was called the greatest man in the East, was very prosperous and wealthy. And he then goes through great suffering and loss, loses all ten of his children, loses all of his possessions, then loses his health. Then he goes through uh, his friends turning on him, three of his friends that we'll talk about a little more today. They turn on him and declare over and over to the insult of Job even in their theology that Job 
must be must have sinned greatly to endure such suffering and accuse Job of hiding and denying that sin when it wasn't there. Now, Job was not suffering because he sinned, rather because he had great faith and was prized by God. And I hope we've learned that this suffering was to show Job and his friends and Satan and the whole world, even to us today, that God is enough just in himself, just in who he is. That God is above reproach. He's sovereign over all and knows all, and we don't. And we're not going to. Okay? We aren't God. That's, you got, we got to break that down because a lot of times we get in suffering. We want to know all the answers. We demand the answers from God. And a lot of times God goes, it's my purposes. The, the secret things belong to me. And maybe one day you'll know. Maybe one day you won't. But in the case that you don't, what I'm trying to teach you is I'm still good. I know what happened. And I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm still for you. And it's okay. Am I? He just looks at it and says, am I not enough for you even without you knowing why that happened? There are secret things that belong to God and we will never understand them. Nonetheless, God is good and he wants good for us and namely for us to know his goodness, know him intimately, know his love, his mercy, his grace. And that, that's the ultimate goal, even when everything else is gone. Right? I mean, and for us, I mean, there's a challenge if I was to say, okay, here's $1 billion dollars. All the houses, cars, prosperity, perfect health the rest of your life for 150 years. You'll be the oldest person ever to live in our modern age, okay? Or you can trade that and know God intimately and have none of this. Which one are you going to take? We say that easily, don't we? But what do we spend our time, our efforts our passions, what do we go after every day? We go after this, don't we? It's easy to put it out there and go, instant lottery right here. But if we have to put in the effort or work for it, we'll just take, we'll just take the prosperity right out of the hand, right? God, I hope, it becomes apparent to you that God is enough for you. And he's worth trading all that for. We, we chase and spend our lives giving most of our attention and efforts to everything but God. Okay? I'm talking to me. Okay? We can easily say, oh, I'm all about God. Man, I'm a pastor. I get paid to like pay attention to God all the time, right? But still, the world wars against you, right? One of the main lessons I hope we have learned through this journey is that spiritual warfare, perseverance, even suffering is a part of the Christian life. It just is. It's the Christian experience for us in this time for a reason. Okay? There's a reason to it. There's a purpose in it. If you go back to one of the sessions we did on this before, Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, not because we're sinless, but because we have faith, in God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We don't stand on our own works, our own what we've done and how good a person we are. I've been a good person. God doesn't care. I mean, he cares that you 
live for his purposes and live by what, and obey him after you become a Christian. But up front, it's just, hey, it's all about Jesus and what he does. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, in, in, in our trouble, in our suffering. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Okay, listen to this. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, please, okay? I know of no other way, no other way for us to grow in faith in character, and to build hope in our hearts. No other way that the Bible prescribes than that. what that just said right there. The Bible never says that in easy times, in prosperous times, in great comfort, in great circumstances, in great prosperity, that all that makes you a better person, better father, better Christian. Okay? Actually, the Bible talks about how those things war against us being the person. Not that having things and having great circumstances and God will not bless us with prosperity, will not bless us with good things. He does. And because someone has those things does not mean they're bad people as we see with Job, right? That mean they've done something terribly wrong and so they're prospering, okay? But those things can be more of a curse than a blessing if we aren't aware and understand. And, and a lot of times, difficult circumstances, it comes to us all. It doesn't matter what you have and how prosperous you are. Difficult times comes to all of us. Okay? As Jesus said it would, in this world you will have tribulation, trouble, right? But it's in those difficult times that the Scriptures would Tell us that's when you grow. It's amazing to see the parallel. The, the, the greatest times of growth and spread of the gospel in the church in Scripture is when? When the church is under pers persecution. Where's the church growing the most today? In countries where there's great persecution. And they have to do underground church. Where's the church actually dying? Not going to die, but... It, declining. Where's the church in decline? In North America. Why? Because we have President Trump. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Hey. Okay. I had this argument. I had. Man, I've got to be careful. We're Facebook Live. I got. <laughs> can you imagine the emails this is going to get? Okay. Not to mention, I have to go to eat with my dad and my brother after this. Um. There. There's. I mean, I'm, I can remember during the election, okay? And I'm not saying he's not a good president. I'm just, this is all I care about, okay? Is the spread of the gospel in the church. But here's the thing. I'm getting myself in so much trouble. People would come at me during election time and be like, oh, are you, man, you got, like, it's end of the world if Trump doesn't get to be president. Like our economy, this, that, and other, blah, blah. Oh, Christianity's going to be persecuted if, if, well, maybe that's what we needed. Because all I still see is an apathetic, complacent church in North America. I do not see a growing, greater church because Trump is president. I just don't. Okay? The more the economy grows and the more all that stuff happens, the lazier Christians get. I'm just being honest. Okay? And it's sad. It's really sad. So I, not that I would vote for it. That's not my deal. I vote for who I think will be the best president and as far as morals and character. So don't ask me who I voted for or if I even voted for a president. Okay? I vote for who I think is most sound in their character and will be best for our country morally than I do e economy or whatever. Okay, Abortion matters more to me than the finance, the finance rate 
that's going on right now. Okay? Things like that matter to me more. Okay? I am on such a rabbit hole. Okay? But listen, I'm just telling you, when we are, we'd have been better off as a church probably with the other. Because maybe we would have got up and stood up a little bit to fight a little bit to spread the gospel more to see the church grow to do something about it. Rather than go, oh yeah, we, we won, so let's just do what we've always been doing. Which isn't a whole lot in, the, in North America. I'm not talking about you personally. I'm talking about you collectively. North America, the church. Okay? Happy Father's Day. Sorry, that's my soapbox, okay? Prosperity wars against us and has the tendency to make us apathetic. And we know this, like here's the great parallel, dads. We know this as parents, don't we? Come on now. I mean, we, we want to we give the opposite to the church, but dads, we know spoiling our children and not disciplining, disciplining them and if we give them everything they want and just make them happy, right? It only makes them bad adults, right? As parents, we know that, right? We would all agree with that and go, that, that is correct. So why do we not apply that then to our nation? Why do we not then apply that to our relationship with Father God spiritually and what He does in our lives? Ignoring your kids doesn't help them. We have to teach them good character. Don't you want your kids to have perseverance and strength? Have that never give up, always be thankful attitude? How do they get that? How do you teach a kid to be thankful? By not getting everything they want, right? They only get that through struggles and correction. So why would God treat us any different? Just consider in your most difficult times, this is where I'm trying to get bring this to, okay? Some of you will be stuck on, like all you'll talk about with me later is president, okay? I hope you skip over all that and get to here, okay? Because this is what this is pointing to, okay? Just consider that in your most difficult times that God is actually trying to do something good for you instead of being mad at God and thinking the world is, the sky is falling and it's all going to be terrible. He's trying to use you for some great purpose you can't see. And the only way to motivate you out of that sin or motivate you to see that sin or motivate you to not be apathetic or motivate you to do more for His purpose is to have things come down on you a little bit. Okay? I, I've, I've recommended this to a lot of people, okay? Um, C.J. Mahaney put me onto it just listening to some of his talks about all this, but this is a commentary on Job by Christopher Ash. You've heard me read things from it already, um, different quotes, but I want to read you this this morning. It's a little longer quote, but it, it, it gets this point across, and then I'll get to my last point, and we'll be done, okay? You know, preachers say that just to keep you hanging on another 10 minutes, right? Okay? This is from his commentary. Uh, it's called Preaching the Word. It's the book of Job, Christopher Ash. But he says, when Job repents, he does not mean that the friends have been right all along, that Job has secret sins and finally has to admit them and repent. He maintains his integrity at the, at the end as he has all along. But he realizes he has been presumptuous. He has spoken of things he does not understand and has overreached himself. Chapter 42, verse 3. Where he says that. Now in the presence of the living God, he bows down in silent worship. Listen to this. And that is a good thing. It's a good thing. For Job to be brought low so that he despises himself and exalts God is not a bad thing. We understand that for us to go around thinking we are worms in relation to our fellow human beings is a destructive thing. We're not to think that way in relationship to each other. The kind of, that kind of inferiority complex, pathological low self-esteem, is not to be encouraged. 
in a sense, it's better to say, I'm okay, you're okay, as the pop psychology book had it. But in the presence of the living God, this is where this changes. But in the presence of the living God, to bow down low and to grasp how great he is and how small I am is actually a healthy thing because it is true. It is a mark of the love of God that he brings Job low, for this is where a creature ought to be. We don't like that, do we? That is true for us as well. We often pray for success, both for us and for others. We pray for good exam results, for good job offers, etc. And yet so often success leads to pride and pride to self-confidence and self-confidence to independence from God and independence from God leads to hell. The most deeply compassionate and merciful thing God can do is to humble us and bring us low. Did you hear how that started? The most compassionate merciful thing God can do is to humble us and bring us low so that we bow before him and lean on him and trust him. That is the first mark of the compassion of God. He loves enough to humble us as he humbled Job under his mighty hand. Perhaps for some of us there has been or there will be a time in life when everything goes wrong. We don't desire those things. A time perhaps of pain and failure, even of disaster and misery. And it may be that God in his compassion is bringing us low so that we will learn, so that we will lean on him alone. This was for Job a hard truth, but it was nonetheless a mark of, mer of the mercy of God that he would bring Job very low. Isn't that amazing? You get this read this. It's very good. Okay. See, we as Christians say we want to grow spiritually and mature as Christians, but we don't want to do what it takes to get there, do we? Not the way the Bible prescribes it, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, right? It is normal for a Christian to go through suffering for this reason. Just consider the life of Job. He was blameless when he started. Okay, Now Job was not suffering because he sinned, but he did sin in his suffering. It was something good God worked out in Job. Job sees in the end, as we saw last week with Tony, Job just sees his pride and arrogance towards God in his suffering and repents, and then God restores Job twice as much as Job had lost, children, possession, years, all restored to Job, happy ending, full of days, right? Job following God initially by faith and had heard God with the hearing of his ears, but then he says now after this experience, he gets to see God with his eyes. And the greatness of God in Job's heart is twice as much as when he began. That's a good thing. His relationship and love for God and his own character has grown as a result. Now, the other thing I want us to talk about, hopefully you got that and I completely shocked you and you're like, this is not the lighthearted thing I wanted on Father's Day. Sorry, okay? Now, the only thing I wanted, the other thing I want to talk about today is found in, verses, in chapter 42, verses 7 through 9. I just want to pull that out and look at something uh, a little more deeply. And that's the thing about this, the book of Job that I'll, you just wish you had more time. Like you got to read it and you got to examine things and dig deeper and you'll just see these things that you go, on the surface, it's not just about Job was faithful and suffering and he did a great job with it and so should we. Right? It's not that simple. There's so much more to it. The Bible is amazing. Okay, verses 7 through 9 says, It came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends. Because you these are the three guys that came to Job and, remember, sat with him at first, mourned with him at first, but then as soon as anybody opened their mouth, it was just a fight from the get-go and they insulted Job and you've sinned and 
you're just hiding it and you're wrong and their theology they applied to him was not was right but did not apply it to those circumstances there's another theology that is it to these circumstances whereas that one is to this and and so they didn't get it right and they they spoke wrong of God and spoke wrong of Job and so this is what the Lord says my wrath is kindled against you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. I didn't have time to look up the whole seven bulls, seven rams. There's people in here you can go talk to that probably can explain why it was seven. Seven's the number of completion or something like that. And so maybe there's something to that or why that is that. I don't know. Didn't have time for that. It's probably what I'll do before I move on to anything else in my life. Okay? There's, there's reasons all this stuff, even the slightest detail. Okay? Sorry, I got sidetracked by that. And it says, take those, go to my servant Job, and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job will pray for you. Pay attention to what's happening here, okay? For I will accept him so that I may not do with you according to your folly. You hear that? I'm going to, we're going to do this with him, the sacrifice so that you don't have to pay for your folly. Okay, there's so much language in here if you just get this that okay, thank Jesus, okay? For those of you that are still going, huh? Okay. Precursor to Jesus, foreshadowing of Jesus, okay? For I will accept him so that I do not do with you according to your folly because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite, okay? went and did as the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job. Okay? You can go so far deeper into that than I'll be able to go this morning, but check this out. New Testament and Old Testament. Okay? It's all about Jesus. You got to get that. From, from Genesis through Revelation, it's all teaching the same stuff. It matches. It's not that the Old Testament is not valid because we're a New Testament church. Okay? No. We're a Bible church, okay? Even though we're in that, can we get into, I don't want to get into debates about end times and all that stuff, but where I'm at, premillennial, dispensationalist, okay? We're in the church age, and so the New Testament, what it prescribes, how that lays out, okay? We're a New Testament church, but we believe in the Bible, the whole thing, okay? So much to learn and see how wonderfully God is consistent and true from Genesis to Revelation. And it all applies. Okay? And if you read Genesis through that lens of Jesus, you see it clearly. Okay? You see there, Job had sinned against God and repented and was forgiven and restored. Okay? He received forgiveness from the Lord. It was the prescribed way Job was to do this. Okay? Then we see Job's friends are told by the Lord to go to to Job and offer their sacrifices, the seven bulls and seven rams, right? And then they have Job pray for them. It was God's prescribed way for them. Same way with, with just that little difference of where, what Job's role is. Okay? Take yours to Job, right? Three things there that, that I hope that we can look at and see and go, why was it that way? We, and the first thing is, is before we get into all that, is to see that in this thing is, we have to do things God's way or it doesn't work. Okay, we we must come to God on God's terms, not our terms. We can't sit back and dictate to God and say, "Well, fine, if that's the way you're going to be, I'm just going to sit right here and do nothing. I'm not going to believe in you. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to." give to the church i'm not all these like things in our mind that we go i'm not going to do i'm not going to do i don't do windows i don't you know whatever it is okay i'm going to sit here and pout god until you do what i want you to do then you'll just sit there because god doesn't work that way and you'll never get anywhere he'll just go okay well your circumstances will probably just get worse maybe i need to bring you lower in order for you to see what i'm trying to get you to see to get your pride out of you because you think it's about you, but it's about me. It's from, about Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. It's about God. Even the book of Job, as much as we go, it's the book of Job. It's Job's book. It's about Job. It's about his suffering. No, it's about Jesus. 
Okay, it's about God and his story and trying to reveal to us who he is and how much he loves us, cares for us, and wants us to know him regardless of the things we don't know. Okay? We have to do things God's way or it doesn't work. We come to God on his terms, not ours. To sit back and wait for God to do things your way won't won't happen. We must have forgiveness of sin to get access to God and be with him in heaven for eternity when this life is over. And that for us is only through Jesus. His sacrifice on the cross for us, for our sin. Jesus is our great high priest who can atone for us. Job acting as that priest for those guys there is a foreshadowing of Jesus, our great high priest. Okay? Second thing. We'll get more to that in a minute. I've jumped ahead to to the third one. Okay? Second thing, though, is relationships are important. I hope you see that in this. Okay? This was not just about restoring these men to God, but also with each other. You see that in there? Okay? His friends had to do this with Job for another reason that we'll get to next, but relationships with each other are important. What's the great commandment? Love God. Okay, as long as me and God have our thing and I love God, I'm good. It doesn't matter about anybody else. Is that the great commandment? No. Love God. Love others. It's a great commandment. Okay? Love God. Love others. If we violate either part of that commandment, it's a sin. Okay? So either one puts a hindrance on our relationship with God, right? What does the Lord's Prayer say? And we'll get back to this. Remember, I talked about this earlier, and we'll go back to that prayer gathering that we had. Okay? What does the Lord's Prayer say? Matthew 6, 9 through 13. What does it say? Pray then this way. Our Father who is in in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's a great reference also to say, we have to remember when we start praying, it's about God. He's great. I'm little. He is God. I am the created one. He is the creator. Okay? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Because it's about you, not about me. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And listen to this part, because this, this is relationship. Love God. We've got all that love God stuff there at the beginning. Love others. And forgive us our debts as we also have done what? Have forgiven. We forgive because we've already done something, right? It's not that we get forgive us because I'm considering forgiving someone or because I'm, you know, God, I really want to forgive them. I just can't bring myself to do it. Or God, I'm, I'm not there yet, but one day I'll get there. I'll forgive them. No, forgive me as I have already forgiven others of their debts against me. You see how that works? One comes before the other. And lead us not into temptation, because we can find it all by ourselves. But deliver us from evil. Right? So for you tough dads this morning, okay, manly men, okay, hopefully no one's excluding themselves going, well, that's not me, okay? If you're a man, DNA, you've got it, right? Is there someone out there that you need to ask forgiveness from or forgive that you haven't? Are you playing macho man and just saying, well, that's just the way it is and I don't care and I don't need to do that with anyone. They can just like it or leave it. Right? And that's the way we like to play it as guys, right? I don't care. American macho man that acts like it's cool to treat others with a lack of regard or disrespect or that that I don't need anybody or whatever attitude or what in that way in that way the macho man plays it right we think we're supposed to be I just I do what I want to do and if they don't like it tough it's my life right no it's not it belongs to God 
That's just the way I am. And people can get over it or get mad, and it doesn't bother me. That's not a real, that's not a real man, Jesus Christ. Jesus was a warrior. I mean, when he comes back, he's not, which wasn't that way anyway. Jesus went to the cross because he put himself on the cross, and he held himself on the cross, and he allowed them to do that. He could have called a legion of angels, the, the Bible says, and just wiped everybody out, but he didn't. Jesus Christ, a real man, warrior king, is who our, who our Savior is. And a real man is a Jesus Christ warrior attitude kind of dad. Okay, Real men, this is what Jesus teaches us, real men do what's right, not what, what pleases themselves. It's a great thing a dad can do to teach their kids how to love others as God has commanded them to. Teach them it's important to forgive so that you can be forgiven. To seek forgiveness when you've done wrong. That's what a real dad does. It's what Jesus died for so we could have it ourselves. We dishonor the sacrifice of Jesus and the grace and mercy of God when we don't forgive. And I'm not saying it's easy. I know. Easy to say, hard to do. But that's what Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit for is to empower us to do those things we really just can't do in and of ourselves. Remember what you've been forgiven of and that'll motivate you to forgive other people. We must push toward that and not give up on it. Okay, so the third, last thing. The three friends, like I've, I've already alluded, I've jumped ahead a lot. The three friends went to Job as a re representation of the of the idea of the priest in the Old Testament, okay, which Jesus comes and fulfills in the New Testament. They went to Job as they would a priest to offer up their sacrifice for their sin and, and blood would be shed to atone for their sin and thus paying for their for the sins they had committed. They would have to do this, though. Every you know, Whenever they sinned, they had to do this. Old Testament was, okay, I've sinned, now I have to sacrifice for it, but it does not cover anything in the future. I'm going to have to come back and do this again and come back and do this again. Right? It could not completely cover the sin. It was a temporary, a band-aid for it. Right? Because Jesus had not yet come. They would have to do this every time for their sins as they committed them because it was not su sufficient. It was not a sufficient once-for-all sacrifice as Jesus would be. The blameless believer that we see in Job as Job is described, is representative of the blameless Jesus who would be our great high priest and now does what? It's Like this jumped out at me just like yesterday. I was sitting in the office and I, I was reading that again. I was like finishing up, trying to get this ending down and, and thinking about what where that goes. And, and it says and then that Job would then pray for them. And, that, and, and I just went, What, what does our great high priest do for us now? He prays for us, right? Job was to pray for them after the sacrifice, and now Jesus, our sacrifice, sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us. He sits and prays for us. You see the parallels, right? Isn't that beautiful? Old Testament, hundreds of years, however, like, it's been th thousands of years, right? Go back to Job. Before the New Testament is written, you got like the whole Bible is all these different continents upon which it was written by like 40 different authors. or I can't remember all the statistics, but like the, the whole thing spanned like 1,500 years, I think, something like that. Who's those Bible guys in here that like know all those stats, right? Where's my OCD? numbers people, right? Like all these different people, different continents, all these years, yet from Job into the New Testament, it's all the same. Like it all points to the same thing. Like they, these guys didn't sit down and write this together. They didn't even know each other. So, like going back to then until now to, to when the New Testament was written. And yet it's all consistent. 
the Bible, this Bible is written ultimately by God through these men, complete truth without error. Like there's no other way, right? So you can trust it. You can trust it, right? It's what, and so that question becomes at the end of this, dads, everybody, have you trusted it? It's what, it's got in it the way God prescribes for us to know Him, to be forgiven, to have eternal life, as Jesus says. And the way He describes it is it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And through Him and His sacrifice, you can receive forgiveness from God for your sin and be in relationship with the God who created you. It's faith, not sight. Okay, so faith, I trust what I cannot see. Faith says, I don't have all the answers. I don't understand life altogether. I don't I don't really get everything. I don't know why all this is happening to me. I don't understand all the circumstances in my life. But I have faith in God and trust him that he's this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I'm just going to lean in him more and lean in him more. And God, what are you trying to teach me through this? And I'm just going to trust him and love him through it and hopefully know him more in the end. Faith, not sight, so that you can have hope. It says in that Romans 5, so that ultimately you'll have more and more hope for what's to come. Hope for what's to come. Assurance of what we've not yet seen. We can have assurance that eternal life with him in heaven is for real. Your hope just builds as you go forward in trusting him. Right? I, I love Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4 through 16. And it's going to be up there, but I'm just my memory and what I have in my head. It, it just says, since we have a great high priest. See that? Therefore, since we have a great high priest. That's what I was talking about, right? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has passed through the heavens. Let us hold, some versions say, let us hold firm. Let us hold fast to the faith we profess, to our confession, Right? For we do not have a great high priest who cannot sympathize. Some verses say empathize. I like that a little better. It means he, he's been there, done that. Not just, oh, I see what you're going through and I feel bad for you. It cannot empathize with us in our weakness, but one who is tempted in every way we were, yet is without sin. So there, what can happen then? Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. Let us approach the throne of grace so that we may find mercy. We can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need, right? Our great high priest, that's just what he's there for. It's because he knows the suffering's coming. He knows the hard times, the circumstances we don't understand. And he says, hey, look, I, I get it. I understand. And I know you're going to have needs. So approach me for those needs because I am sufficient for those needs, Right? So I would just ask you this morning, what's your need today? What, what, what is it that you're looking for that you don't understand, that you have a need? There's, there's something going on in your life that, or inside of you that you just go, here's the need. Well, through Jesus, if he is your great high priest, you put your faith in him. Maybe that's your need today is just salvation. It's just to say, I have not submitted my life fully. I, yeah, I, I say I prayed the prayer and got baptized. I joined a church once. And I claim to be a Christian, but I have no passion for God. I don't, I don't just regularly attend church. I don't, I don't spiritually hunger for things of God. I don't re necessarily turn from things that the Bible says are sin. I just kind of dismiss them and come up with my own theology. There's all this stuff in us that says, hey, you may not get it. Okay? And a lot of people will look at me often and go, well, you're just trying to make me doubt my salvation. Okay, yeah. And if I can, then you probably don't have what you say you have. Okay, I'm going to try to get you to doubt your salvation all day long. You know why? Because I want you to be sure. I want you to have this thing the Bible calls assurance. Because people can try to make me doubt all day long, and I'm just going to say, hey, I know. I know I'm not who I used to be, and it's because Jesus changed me. And the Holy Spirit lives in me, bears witness with me. There's times I feel his promptings. There's times he speaks to me. I know his voice. I follow him. How'd you end up being a pastor and know what you're doing? I have no idea. I just started following God, and this is where I ended up. And I didn't ask for it. I promise. Okay? 
I asked my brother, okay, he still calls me the prodigal son, okay, I'm going to leave it alone, okay, you ask him, do you, do you think ever as a high school kid, college kid, that kid I ever sat around going, God, please make me a, a preacher one day, a Baptist preacher, that's, God, that's my greatest hope, that was nowhere on the radar, I promise, okay, do you know what God had to do? I was thinking, man, I am so, listen, I was thinking about running the other day and how I've been able to do that again. And I think, you know what God had to do? He had to take it away from me because it used to be all about me. I wanted to be in the Olympics and represent our country and be the greatest runner, the fastest guy that ever ran a mile or two mile. That used to, that's what I wanted because it was about me and my glory. And God took it. And for 20-something years, couldn't do it. Would try. You know, you have to work out of me. It's not about me. Now you got to do it, buddy, just to hold on to your head. Right? You see what he, see what he did with that? And now I can sit back and go, thank you, God, because it's about you and for you giving that back to me. Because I get it now. So what's your need? Since you can... Through Jesus, not because how good we are, not because of anything we can do, not because our circumstances are perfect and great, but because of Jesus, we can approach the throne of grace, it's called that for a reason, and find mercy, receive mercy, and find grace to help us in our time of need. That doesn't mean he's going to go, okay, I'll tell you why all this is happening. No, he's going to look at you and go, do you see that I'm enough for you? That you'll not find it in all that other stuff. You'll not even find peace in knowing why and knowing all the answers. That's why it's called peace that passes understanding. Lean not on our own understanding. All that works together to say it's not about us understanding. It's simply about us looking at God and going, you're enough for me. You really, like, when we get to heaven, like, like everybody's, all the questions, because I often go, man, I'm going to love talking to some of those guys and going, okay, now, like, what really happened in this? Like, you know, I want to see the tape. I want to know, like, Paul, tell me what that was like. Jesus, show me what that was like when that, when that happened in the Bible. The parting of the Red Sea. Moses, can you describe that for me a little bit? Because I've seen the cartoon videos and the movies and stuff, but I'm not sure that's exactly what it looked like. Can you tell me what it looked like? Okay, were there, like, little fish heads sticking out of the water, or were, were they just, like, gone, or what? What was going on? Was, there, was it muddy? Was it like you have all these questions? But here's the thing when we get to heaven, even our deepest questions, even the things we long to know the most God, why did that happen in my life? Why did my wife die? Why did my husband die? Why did my kid die? Why did I get cancer? Why did I? Why, 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 why? All those things will just all of a sudden go in the presence of God because we'll go, He is amazing, wonderful, and good. And I'm with him forever. God, I don't need to know the answers to all that stuff. I'm just glad I have you. And I get to be here. And I get to know you. Like, all, like in comparison to the greatness and awesome wonder of God, all that will just pale in comparison. It'll just be like, I don't really care anymore. So what's your need? And I hope in that, in approaching that throne of grace, you'll see how great he is. So would you pray with me this morning? Father, I first just want to thank you for your word, for the Bible that gives us all this great stuff about you, but more than that, that it, it is this mediator, so to say, of our relationship with you, that it's your communication to us, who you are, it's, it's your conversation with us, it's your it's you reaching down to us and handing us your word and, and then the word is made flesh through Jesus dwelt among us died for our sin so that we can have this assurance we can have this hope for what's to come that goes beyond our current circumstances that goes beyond this time. Father, thank you for that. Thank you, God, for 
for that. Father, right now, I just I just pray if there's someone here who's not turned from their sin, from themselves, who's really not a believer. They have not. They're just a cultural, southern, southeastern Christian, Bible Belt, grew up in it. Hey, it's the acceptable thing. It gets people off my back. Whatever their reasoning for saying, hey, I'm a Christian, that they, I pray that all that just washes away and they go, I need Jesus for real. And they would just turn to you right now, Father, turn from their sin, their own ways, being Lord of their own life, and they would turn to you and your great plan for them. And that they would just place their faith in what Jesus has done for them, dying on the cross in their place for their sin so that the Holy Spirit could come and dwell them, give them new life, and they could then live for you, see you, love you. Honor you, give glory to you with their life, Father. I pray right now in their hearts, in their minds, that conversation is going on with you and they're just surrendering to you. Father, for the rest of us, Whatever that need may be, I pray that you would show yourself sufficient to them, that you would open hearts and minds to your word, to who you are, and they would see your greatness. And they would let go. Let go of themselves and just grab wholly onto you. Father, Father, I just pray that dads here this morning would lead their families well, raise their kids to know you, Father and be examples of faith to them. So as we close today, we go about our business, I just, I pray you would continue to speak throughout this day, through this week, to each and every person who is listening online or listens to this later or is here this morning, Father, that you'd continue to speak to them and draw them to yourself and help them to take their next step with you. And I just pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.